Human resources, employee relations, the legal department are aligned against you. Your employer has trained for this day, the day you've become an expendable number at work. There are robust laws that may protect you, but unlike the company, you've not been drilled on how to wield them. You're playing catch-up. There are pitfalls to avoid and countermeasures to deploy that may save your job or put you in the best position to negotiate a favorable settlement. Minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. The Walking Papers podcast offers the first foray into learning how to turn the tables when you've been targeted at work. Knowledge is power. Let's get started. Hey! This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. My rifle is my best friend. It is my life. I must master it as I must master my life. Without me, my rifle is useless. Without my rifle, I am useless. I must fire my rifle true. I must shoot straighter than my enemy who is trying to kill me. Welcome back to another episode of the Walking Papers podcast. I am Robert Ingalls, your host. The title of today's episode is... This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. Litigation Basic Training Part 1. The Lawsuit. I am here with attorney Josh Van Campen. Josh, tell us about this title. You're always so creative with it. Well, Full Metal Jacket, one of the most iconic war movies of all times. And in that clip, they talk about needing to shoot. I will shoot straighter than my enemy who is trying to kill me. In litigation... We really approach litigation as a a life or death sort of situation for our clients, that losing is not an option. So I just thought it was applicable to talk about essentially a boot camp because our clients are entering this arena that we fight in all the time for the first time, usually just unwitting about what's to come. So we are going to get the listeners ready, Rob, actually in a three-part series, Soup to Nuts about being prepared for litigation and to shoot straighter than our enemies. So you said this is a three-part series on the litigation process. Tell us where we're starting. So we're going to start with the the drafting of the actual lawsuit or the complaint. And that is essentially the first torpedo in the water, if you will, that triggers this litigation process that's going to then culminate into a second phase, which is discovery another phrase called summary judgment. We're going to cover that in the part two of this podcast. And then part three, of course, is trial and what to expect for listeners that are in an employment law trial. So today we're going to talk about step one. Is that the lawsuit itself? It's the lawsuit itself. The good news for folks is you don't need to write it. <laughs> That's why you, you hire a lawyer. But there are going to be listeners who, who may file a lawsuit on their own without a lawyer. And so it's important to me that we impart some information for those, those people as well. So we'll gear toward our approach to litigation and lawsuit writing, but I'm also going to provide good information for people that may file one on their own. All right. So what is a complaint? A complaint is, and I hate that word, don't you? <laughs> no, I'm it, complaining. It, yeah. It makes it seem like you filed a lawsuit and therefore you're complaining. You're about whining. Something. Right. And I wish there was a better term for it. You know, it's also called a lawsuit, but that's kind of pejorative as well. So in a complaint, this is where you lay out what you're accusing the defendant of. And it is, I think, an often overlooked document. 
in North Carolina and in most states, all that's required in the filing of complaint, it's called notice pleading. So you don't have to make every aspect of your claims in the complaint. You can write just basic information that puts the employer on notice of what you're accusing them of. I think the complaint is one of the most important documents that your lawyer is going to prepare. And so never mind notice pleading and you getting away from the bare minimum. We take a full-throated approach into the way that we write our complaints. So what does my complaint need to say? I know that there's probably many, many things, and it's obviously going to be much more complicated than we can cover here today. But what are the basic things that need to be included? Right. You could think of it as a skeleton, if you like. And right at the top, the head would be the parties. In the caption portion of the complaint, you have to identify who you are. You're the plaintiff bringing the lawsuit. And then you also have to identify who you're suing, and, the, and those are called defendants. And it is very important, folks, for you to make sure that you sue the correct defendant. So how do you know who to sue if you've been wrongfully terminated? Look at your paycheck. Look at your W-2. Your W-2 is going to give the exact legal entity that you want to sue. And then just go to your Secretary of State's website and search that name and you will find out what their principal address is or who their registered agent is that can be served with a lawsuit. That starts first with the caption. That's kind of the head. And next is jurisdiction. And jurisdiction is a fancy legal term to make sure that the judge uh, or that courthouse has authority to hear your case. So in that instance, you know, you can typically file a lawsuit in the county courthouse where you live. And, and in North Carolina, you would be suing in what's called superior court in the county where you live. You can also file the lawsuit in the county where you worked. So if you lived in Union County, but you worked in Mecklenburg County, you could file that lawsuit in Mecklenburg County. And I would suggest that you do because it's a more metropolitan jury pool. So jurisdiction needs to be described. So you're saying where you live, you're saying where the defendant's principal place of business is, you're describing to the court where, and like I said, where, where you worked. So at that point, you also have to identify what you're suing for. So know what legal claims you're bringing. You want to lay that out as well, because the statutes that you're suing under, they empower the court with jurisdiction to hear those claims and you need to cite the right laws. So that all, that all's in the jurisdiction section. To me, the most important part of the complaint is the introduction. Now, most law firms introduction, you know this, Rob, from your practice days, it just says plaintiff brings this lawsuit against defendants, such and such. It's like one sentence. It tells the reader nothing. And then in order to figure out what this complaint is about, you actually have to read the whole thing. And then maybe by the end, you're like, oh, this lawsuit was about somebody getting fired for age discrimination who worked for a company for 30 years. We write our lawsuits uniquely in that we write an introduction in the very front. And so by page two, the reader of that complaint knows exactly what this lawsuit's about. And what's more, we write our introductions like an opening statement to a jury. So we figure out what our theme is early. And we hit that theme literally in the first paragraph of the complaint. And we'll hit that theme all the way through to the jury trial if we get there. To me, writing a good introduction is the most important thing you can do. But moving our way on down the skeleton, the arms, if you like, would be facts. 
So you can't just say, I'm suing under this law. You have to also say, you know, these are the facts that support your legal claims. And so that typically comes after you describe what the jurisdiction is for the court. And then the legs really are the law. And there you're citing the statutes, essentially. What a lot of times folks forget to do in that legal section is tell the court what you want or what are you, what are you asking for? And that's where you describe your damages. So you're asking for back pay and benefits. You're asking for future lost wages. You're asking for emotional distress or pain and suffering. You may be asking for consequential damages, like you had to liquidate your 401k and you paid a penalty. And you need to make sure that you lay out in the lawsuit the sort of damages that you're asking for. And you have to ask for a jury trial, folks. So if you don't say you want a jury trial, the court's going to assume that you want a judge to decide your case. So you need to, usually you do it right on the first page that you're demanding a jury trial and then signing it. Even if you're just filing it yourself as a person, you do need to sign that complaint. I like that unconventional approach to writing it because while judges and lawyers are accustomed to reading dense legal prose, they're humans just like everyone else and they like a good story. And I think that probably engages their brain a little bit more. But it also has to serve that second purpose of framing what's to come after. So instead of reading, well, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, they're able to view that through the lens of, we know what ultimately happened, and now these facts will help make sense of that. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you have to think about who your audience is of that introduction. On the, on the one hand, your audience is the judge who will be reviewing the complaint early on in the case. But your audience is also the company attorney who will be reading and responding to it. It's the CEO of the company or the head of a legal department of a bank who's going to be reading the complaint. And we talked before in podcasts about the importance of breaking molds. And here you break a mold when you write a lawsuit that reads like a jury opening statement in the first two pages. And so that's another reason that we do it because it's for all time, you know, it's all about first impressions. Just like when you walk into a job interview and you wear a nice suit, same goes for uh, writing a nice complaint. Sure. And I'm sure that the, at a minimum, the judge appreciates it. It's much easier to digest that information and understand it. And there's that old adage, people might not remember what you say, but they'll remember how you make them feel. And if you're (laughs) going to make that judge's job easier... They're going to feel good about you. Yeah. You know, this reminds me of a funny story, though. You're right about that. But so we sued a large church in town for some, I'm not going to go into details, but it was for some types of discrimination. And in the complaint, we, uh, introduction, I cited Bible verse, which is probably the only lawyer to do that. (laughs) Play play to your audience. In North Carolina. But I mean, I couldn't, I cited to Matthew, I think there was just a quote that I, I just couldn't overlook. The other side filed a motion to strike portions of my complaint because I may have gone over the top a little bit in my introduction. And the judge agreed. (laughs) There were certain things I needed to take out of the introduction. You got to be careful about not being over the top in your introduction, but now I know not to do that. Sure. All right. We've talked about the complaint, what should be in it, what perhaps shouldn't be in it. Now, once I've put this complaint together, how do I go about filing? Where do I file it? You're safe to file in the county where you reside or the county where you resided at the time that you were uh, discriminated against. You can also file your lawsuit in the county where the company is headquartered or its principal place of business. 
you can sue in a county where you worked at the time that you were being terminated. So this is why it's important to have a lawyer involved in deciding which courthouse to file in, because a lot of times we're going to have intel about jury pools or judges that may dictate which county we want to file in. Oftentimes you have multiple options of different courthouses. And then there's the notion of state court versus federal court, which is a totally different story. Now, you mentioned that there are different counties that you can file in, but is there a difference between state versus federal court? Definitely. Federal courts, just like the name implies, are affiliated with the federal government, whereas your state courthouses are are their state entities. And most lawyers, probably even nine out of 10, I'll tell you that you're better off in the state courthouse than you are in a federal courthouse. Why is that? Really, it has to do with the judges and also jury pools. But just starting first with the judges, it depends on where you live. But in North Carolina, for example, it's regarded as a purple state, but we have two Republican senators and have for some time, and they have a role in appointing the federal judges. And so the overwhelming majority of federal judges in North Carolina are appointed through Republican presidents. And a lot of them are great judges that we've been successful under, but the general impression of federal judges is that they are more sympathetic to the corporation interests than the individual interests, or they may not be as sympathetic to a discrimination lawsuit as a Democratic appointed judge, for example. So all things being equal, Most lawyers in North Carolina will stay in state court if they can, because our state court judges are elected. And so a lot of times a state court judge may be more reluctant to do something callous towards somebody who was discriminated against at work than being worried about the corporation being harmed in in the courthouse. So all things being equal, usually state court is where you want to be. And it's cheaper. Usually the filing fee is about $100 cheaper in state court than it is federal court. Lastly, are jury pools. So in your state court houses, your jury pool pulls from the county. If you're filing in federal court, your jury pool is pulling from a district that may encompass eight or nine counties. And so here's where it gets a little squirrely. So in Charlotte, I don't know the exact number, Rob, but it pulls from about, say, five or six different counties, most of which are rural. So I'm talking about the federal courthouse here in Charlotte. And so if you are, you were discriminated against in Mecklenburg County or you lived in Mecklenburg County, you would want to file your lawsuit in Mecklenburg County, state court, not federal court, because of the jury. You're going to get a Mecklenburg County jury that's generally more progressive, more diverse than if the federal courthouse is literally a half mile away, but it's pulling from all these rural counties and Mecklenburg County. So Once again, you need to have a lawyer who's a litigator and who's familiar with these strategic or tactical considerations in the courthouses. Sure. All right. We've talked about what goes in the complaint. We've talked about how and where we file that. What's next? You need to make sure that you get something called a summons. The complaint actually doesn't compel the defendant to respond to it. The clerk, when you go down and you file a lawsuit or a complaint, will also give you a summons. And that summons is actually what summons the defendant to the courthouse and requires the defendant to reply. So if you're filing a lawsuit per se, you need to make sure that you also get a summons from the clerk. But once you have the summons and you have the complaint, now you need to serve the defendant. And in North Carolina, you know, a good way for everyday people to achieve that 
is to use certified mail. You want to have a re, you know a return. What's the the term is return receipt requested? You know where the green card comes back, so you have proof that it was delivered. I believe that's right. <laughs> that is a, a legal way for you to affect services through certified mail. But you can also get a sheriff to do it, and I think the sheriffs charge a fee, but it's not a lot. I don't like to do that because I'm not looking for a way to be a hard ass unnecessarily on a defendant. Feels a little confrontational. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I just, yeah, I'm confrontational when I need to be. But if I don't need to hire a sheriff to serve a lawsuit, I don't do that. But for everyday people, that's actually a really cost effective way to make sure service happens is to go down to your, your sheriff's department and ask for assistance with serving the lawsuit. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of potholes around service of process. I feel like I've spent more time learning about rule four, I think it is, in law school than any other <laughs> thing we did. It haunts me. Right. Yeah. And folks that are pro se, those clerks down at the courthouse are, they're awesome people. Usually they're there because they want to help. They can help you with a draft lawsuit, for example. They can walk you through service and everything else. So ask a lot of questions when you're down at the courthouse. Lovely. All right. One thing I know people do worry a little bit about is I'm going to write all these things that happened to me in this complaint, and then I'm going to file it. Is that something that just anyone can see? Well, when you file a lawsuit, technically, it's a public record. Technically, that is your lawsuit could be discovered just by filing it. And there isn't really an effective way to do that under seal or to file a lawsuit anonymously really doesn't work well. Now, if future employers were to like Google me, is this going to come up? And that's the thing about public record. The lawsuits, dozens, even hundreds of lawsuits are filed a week and 99.5% of them just go under the radar and into a file. So, you know, we're not, we don't live in a day and age where the local reporter's sitting, you know, down at the courthouse reading everything that gets filed. So usually a lawsuit doesn't get discovered unless it's high profile and it really just jumps off the page. For most people concerned about, well, am I going to end up with a Google hit because I filed a lawsuit? If you file it in state court, it's even less likely to result in a Google hit. If you file it in federal court, federal court tends to be more high profile. And I think the likelihood that it might be detected in federal is higher. Also in the federal courthouse, those are electronic filings. Whereas in the North Carolina Superior Courts, those are hard copy filings still. So if you're worried about confidentiality, it's better for you to file in your state courthouse. Now, earlier you said I had to put my name on it and sign it. Is it possible to file anonymously? I haven't figured out a way to do that effectively in an employment law setting. I mean, you can, you can try it and, and file as essentially a John Doe or a Jane Doe. But I, I haven't done it, so I don't want to give advice to people about it. Uh, to me, if you're not willing to file your lawsuit and put your name on it, you shouldn't file it. Now, if I start this lawsuit, is there something that I could do by filing this lawsuit that could lead to someone countersuing me? Even if you don't file a lawsuit, you know, you have the prospect that an employer could file a claim against you for stealing proprietary information or trade secrets or something. If you file a lawsuit, I guess technically, certainly the employer can file a counterclaim against you. But I would say in my cases, maybe 5% of the times a counterclaim is brought by a defendant in response to a complaint being filed. And usually that counterclaim is a bunch of garbage. So I, I don't think folks should decide not to file a lawsuit because you're worried that you might be countersued. 
you can't be countersued just because you decided to sue your employer. That's you exercising your constitutional rights. And if they did try to countersue you in, a, in retaliation, actually, that countersuit could be something we could sue over because they're, in other words, they're misusing the judicial process. And like I said, only about 5% of the time are any sort of counterclaims filed. Gotcha. And so if they did that, you could, it could actually make their case worse and better for you. That's what it sounds like if it they could. were to abuse that process. Yeah, if they bring a frivolous counterclaim and we, we prove that it's frivolous, we can actually sue them for that retaliatory counterclaim. Now, a moment ago, I was speaking from a position of I'm worried that this might get out, that people might find out that I'm doing this. Let's say that I'm here to prove a point. Is this something that I can openly talk about? Can I speak to the media about mm -hmm. this? You can, as long as you, your comments to the media are consistent with, and essentially you're repeating what you put in the actual lawsuit, the law cloaks you in what's called a qualified privilege to be able to comment about your lawsuit. Now, it has to be factual. You know, if, if you veer into saying false things about the company, personal insults or things like that, you can lose that privilege and you might, you might be able to be sued for defamation. But if all you're doing is describing what happened to you at work, that you brought this lawsuit, you know, here's what you're trying to achieve, you wouldn't have any liability at all in terms of being countersued for what you say to the media. Now, kind of sticking with the media, a lot of people come into our, our office and they say, they assume that if we file a lawsuit alleging race discrimination, that it's going to result in a news story. And I have to explain to people that it's not usually newsworthy because discrimination, it's sad to say, is so common and discrimination lawsuits are filed so frequently, you're very unlikely to get a media report about a run-of-the-mill sort of discrimination lawsuit unless there's something kind of outlandish about it or particularly concerning. So folks that are worried about staying under the radar, even by filing a lawsuit, you, you're very unlikely to actually have to worry about media attention just happening spontaneously. Gotcha. All right. We have prepared our complaint. We filed that complaint. We have properly served that complaint. Now, what happens after we go through all of that and we've filed the lawsuit and gone through those steps? Right. So at that point, you know, the employer is obligated to respond to that complaint. And there are two routes that they can, they can follow. One is to file what's called an answer. So that's the perfect term for it. They're answering the allegations that you have in your complaint. And so for each numbered paragraph that you have in your complaint, the company is going to be responding to those specific paragraphs. And the typical period for responding to that is 30 days from the date that they were served. So remember when you get your green card back, you want to count your 30 days from when that indicates that it was delivered and then that answer needs to be filed. Now, uh, the other thing the employer can do, the second road is file a motion to dismiss. Once again, why it's so important to write your complaint well is that you don't want to leave it vulnerable to a motion to dismiss. And the motion to dismiss essentially argues that there was some defect in the complaint that we don't even get to go to the discovery phase or summary judgment phase we're going to podcast about next because of this defect. And it's why I would discourage people from filing pro se complaints if you can avoid it. It's better to have a lawyer because it's, it can still be tricky about writing a complaint so it's not vulnerable to a motion to dismiss. But And the other reason why motions to dismiss suck is that 
even if you win your motion to dismiss, your lawsuit's usually stalled, waiting for the judge to rule on the motion to dismiss. And so you're not getting into this discovery phase where you're subpoenaing records or wanting to take people's deposition while you're waiting for the judge to rule on that motion to dismiss. All right. So we have well covered the lawsuit phase. Tell us a little bit about what the next two episodes are going to bring. Sure. The lawsuit phase is pretty boring. Where the case gets really hot and for lawyers like me, fun, is what's called discovery. So before you were in the courthouse, your lawyer couldn't compel the company to turn over any information, even your personnel file. But once the lawyer has the lawsuit filed, we can send over what are called interrogatories, which are written questions. We can send document requests, which are essentially, you know, turn over the personnel files for you and your 10 peers. We can even get your boss's personnel file. We can get the evaluations of all your different counterparts and a whole lot of other stuff. And that's where we really start digging into the documents. And we've had document productions with 100,000 pages before called the document dump. You know who you are. (laughs) A certain county that will remain nameless is on my shit list right now. But you got to go through all that paper. And then you get to the deposition. So you get your, if you like, the documents are your ammunition. We get notebooks together of all these different exhibits and emails that we've marshaled. And then we get to compel your boss to sit across the table from us and answer all our questions and show them these exhibits that we found to get the truth out. So that deposition phase is really fun, but uh, our client also gets deposed. <laughs> and that's where we get back to Full Metal Jacket. And I, I call my clients, you know, maggots for two weeks, you know, to harden <laughs> get, them. Get them ready. <laughs> I transform into that drill sergeant persona. <laughs> yeah, you got to make sure that when they get under there and they're under pressure that they felt it before and it doesn't throw them. And I call them private pile. They don't <laughs> understand it at first. <laughs> but on, on the debt prep, actually, I really enjoy because we, we know how to prep a witness. And it is so much fun to prep a witness, sit them across the table from our opponent, and I say, have at them because I know they're ready. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate that, Josh. And we will see you here for the next two right. episodes in this series. All right. Thanks, Rob. All right. Congratulations for taking an important initial step in turning the tables at work. But this podcast is just an educational resource. It does not constitute legal advice and is no substitute for consulting an employment attorney about your unique situation before making legal decisions. Visit our website for more online resources and videos at ncemploymentattorneys.com. Or better yet, call 704-247-3245 for a free initial intake interview so Van Camp and Law can evaluate your case. Until next time, keep your head up and your wits about you.